My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 132, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Mark 9 and 10 and Psalm 29. Mark 9, and he said to them, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the son of man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. 
They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or field for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid, again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise." Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Psalm 29 Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. 
Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf. Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. So, we're continuing the gospel according to Mark. It's our messianic checkpoint as we read the entire story. Today we read a lot of things that point back to Moses and the Old Testament. Mark Strauss, a biblical scholar and commentator on Mark, reminds us that the gospel according to Mark was treated as the least important of the four gospels initially, maybe because it's the shortest and about 90% of the content can also be found in Luke or Matthew. Or maybe it's because of the writing style with the speed and directness and the hop, skip, jump feel. It makes it challenging and therefore less popular or important. But as we're learning, it isn't less important. The differences give us key insights and similarities or corroborations. And the Roman Gentile audience reminds me at least of how the gospel is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. He died and rose again as a ransom for everyone. The passage on divorce in chapter 10 is something that many of us have probably heard before. But I love how Jesus so frequently points back to the Torah or the Old Testament, to Genesis, to communicate the order God designed for his purposes. He points to Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28, where God created them, male and female. And for that reason, in Genesis 2, I think it's Verse 24, a man and a woman become one flesh. I think of this less as one person, although there are some fun movies that communicate you're my other half, (laughs) but I think of it less as one person, but more like one body, uh, like the body of Christ, the church. And probably because I'm a business gal, I think of an organization, and this organization is a partnership between a man and a woman under the brand of God's name and purpose. I think it makes sense that that without the interference of mankind, there has always been roughly 50% women and roughly 50% men, give or take a few percentage points. Of course, this changes when mankind interferes and goes to war or creates national policies that shift these dynamics. But I do find that we still see God's order in creation, and it's pretty amazing. In this story where the Jewish leaders, Pharisees, are asking Jesus about divorce, Jesus points to the condition of the people's heart as hard. Remember how frequently we talked about that in the Old Testament when Moses wrote the commands. So there was this allowing for divorce in the case of Deuteronomy 24. I think it's verse 1 through 4 in that first part is the emphasis of allowing. I remember how God allowed moral defection in the Garden of Eden. They weren't struck dead, but there were serious consequences, and God still loved them so much he engaged them in a rescue mission that he would fulfill. We saw how God allowed Abraham and Sarah to use an immigrant woman's slave, and this is not in all capitals what he wanted or designed, and there were incredible consequences. 
King David had a similar but different situation with Bathsheba, yet God provided for and cared for the immigrant woman slave, her son, Abraham, and Sarah. God continued to love David and elevated Bathsheba to the queen mother of Israel, echoing what will come or forecasting, foreshadowing what would come in uh, Mary, Jesus's mother. And Bathsheba's son would, was God's selection for the next king. The point is, these characters stayed in the story, in the cycles of redemption. We saw how God allowed Israel to have a king like their neighbors, which was not what God wanted. He wanted to be their king, but he allowed it and continued in his faithful rescue mission and promise. Here, Jesus is acknowledging the command of Moses that allowed for divorce, but as we all know, for so many reasons, there are heartbreaking reasons for and consequences of divorce, yet God is still faithful to his promises and rescue mission. Those who seek him are still a part of the story, cycles of God's redemption. I see Jesus really focusing on pointing to God's design and the heart, but acknowledging that hard hearts happen. And like God lets us go and self-exile ourselves from him, I mean, that's so tragic. This isn't what he wants, but he allows it. He allows divorce. It's present in scripture. I'm not an expert, though. There's a lot to talk about and reflect on. Uh, Mark Strauss talks about how the, the rabbis had at least two schools of thought on this. One, that divorce from a wife was only permitted based on unfaithfulness. Because we live in the modern day, I find this somewhat interesting in and of itself. Studies have shown far more men than women admit, self-admit, to cheating. I think the general social survey is the most cited source on this. But there's nuance and shift happening. Anyway, I think the concern in the ancient world, particularly without paternity tests, might be more concerned with a wife's faithfulness. Why? Do you remember? Because marriages were arranged for mostly economic reasons in most of the cases. On one hand, as we read in these passages, some parents view children as economic means through labor and marriage, and they're just kind of pushed to the side, which we all, we're also reading in the story today. Therefore, the heir, particularly the firstborn male heir, was critically important to the economic sustainability of the family, wealth generation, while survival, and therefore economics, is a part of our human experience. Jesus is making it clear that it is not the purpose and that we can learn more from the innocence, vulnerability, and powerlessness of children than we can from the many who are and find themselves, aware of it or not, consumed with economic growth. I'm reminded of what we talked about on day one in Genesis 1. God promises the prophet and progeny, right, to provide. They are the blessing. But our purpose was to rule, reign, be an actor in the filling and subduing. All of this subject to his order and way and his control of the outcome. We also keep being reminded that God wants to be the provider and he doesn't want us to be the taker. He wants to give to us and he wants us to reflect him by giving to others and obeying him. Our heart and focus is on representing and giving. If we remember what we've been reading recently, there's been warning and warning and warning against acquiring gold horses, chariots, counting fighting men, and wives or marriage-like relationship partners. There's been warnings against putting alliances before obedience to God. It's not that economics aren't important, but it's when they're more important and our focus is on taking, collecting, and protecting instead of enjoying with gratitude, sharing, and giving. 
The other school of thought is that divorce was acceptable for almost any reason. But remember, if a wife didn't have a father, brother, uncle, some willing economic safe haven, she would essentially be destitute without the provision of her husband. This rabbinical school of thought, the school of Hillel, believed that a husband could divorce a wife for, in quotes, spoiling a dish, essentially burning toast or something myopically silly like this. How terrifying for a wife who didn't have a willing or able male economic safe haven in her family. Another school of thought from Akiba was that it was sufficient grounds for divorce if you found another woman more beautiful than your wife. Wow. It also reminds me that it isn't just our culture or even Christian culture that debates the reasons for divorce. The Jewish rabbinical teachers had different ideas on this too. In light of this, it was rather scary for women in that culture. It still is in many cultures today. And zooming out, divorce is an overwhelming idea in any culture. But I think too narrowly we focus on the reasons for divorce and miss the point being made from what we have been reading in Deuteronomy 24 and here in Mark 10. Because Deuteronomy 24 was not about the reasons for divorce as much as it was the allowance and protection of a wife from exploitation and economic vulnerability, destitution after a man divorces her. Divorce and remarriage are terribly complex and continue to be today. If we had to specify the main point in Deuteronomy 24, it might be that God allowed this cultural practice but made laws to protect and provide for the more vulnerable and powerless. And here in Mark 10, Jesus is emphasizing the binding nature of a man and woman coming together under God's name as one flesh. The importance of this unity in caring for the vulnerable. This points me back to the passage we also just read in Ecclesiastes 4.12, where one can be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three is not easily broken. To me, this is pointing to God being the binding thread that here in Mark 10, Jesus states, let no man separate or no one separate what God has tethered together. Jesus is challenging the cavalier attitude of the Jewish leaders. He is asserting his authority over the temple and the Jewish leaders. This is a big power shift in dynamics going on. What they say is it's no big deal to get divorced, but Jesus is saying it's a really big deal. And Jesus is asserting his authority. He is the high priest. He's the Messiah and he's the king. More on this to come. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.